Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, January 6th. We are here live. We're going to open the phone lines right now, jump in and start dialing. We do have a limited amount of time today. I know sometimes Fridays go really long, but uh, today we've got two hours. Got to wrap this up by 10 o'clock here on the West Coast today. So jump in early and join us. We've got a lot going on today. We're going to be joined by David Counts from Fleet Air Filter. I believe Joel is joining us, and I'm not sure about John yet. I don't think I've heard for sure on John. So it's kind of a free-for-all today. We are going to talk about uh, gearhead kind of stuff. It's trucking technology and efficiency, but anything goes. So pick up the phone and jump in with whatever questions you've got. 855-950-3835 is the number to join us. Uh, Let's see. We want to do this. I don't see Joel here yet. So I had some topics. I think what I'm going to do is bring in David Counts right now. I'm pretty sure this looks like David's line. David, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. How are you? Good. What's uh, what's new and exciting in your world? How are your holidays? Oh, man, it was great. Had a good Christmas, of course, and then New Year's. It was spectacular. So got to hang out with the family and just do a whole lot of nothing and actually stayed home for a change. Good, good. Glad to hear that. Uh, so, you know, we normally bring you in on Tuesdays, the power hour. Um, Friday's kind of similar. We do a lot of gearhead kind of stuff. We, you know, try to focus more sure. on efficiency and new technology and that kind of stuff. And we just thought this would be a good day to bring you in. I mean, you're kind of like the ultimate gearhead. You'll fit right in here on Fridays. Oh, yeah, you know me. I mean, if it's a diesel motor or a gas motor or turbo or whatever, I'm all- you're You're always wrenching on something. Any uh, any interesting car projects lately? Um, yeah, we got a couple of new projects we're working on. Um, and mainly motor stuff. That's, you know, that's kind of my guru thing. And Dylan, um, my little boy, decided that he wanted to go dirt late model racing. Okay. So we ended up, we bought a dirt lake model and I kind of got him into the mechanical world now. Fun. And he's, uh, his first race is going to be in February the 17th. Ah, that's exciting. Yeah, something new, different, you know? Yeah. Oh, he's, uh, you know, for a 13 year old kid, he's, his knowledge is, is, pretty good so. oh well you know hanging around with you and hanging around the shop there i'm sure that's uh that's quite an education absolutely all right well good stuff i see uh joel is here let's bring him in and uh find out what's going on we'll also get to some calls today calls are starting to come in you might want to line them up fridays usually get busy we've got to wrap this up early today so jump in Joel, good morning. Welcome back. Good morning. How are you today? 
Doing good. What's uh, what's new and exciting in your world? How are your holidays? I worked over the holiday. I actually left uh, December 16th, and I just got back le- late last night. Really? So literally wow. just getting home. That's quite yes. a trip. Yeah, I had a 8,600-mile dispatch with 36 pickups and drops. <laughs> so it wow. was uh, it was pretty damn cool. <laughs> it was yeah, quite it the is. run. Yeah. So how'd the truck do? I saw some results you posted. It looked pretty Just impressive. West Coast swing now. truck that's only halfway broke in. So on this entire round, which was Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, Louisiana, uh, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California. Utah, Wyoming, um, Nebraska, Minnesota, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Indiana, and back to Ohio. I averaged 11.6 on the entire round. Wow. wow. That is incredible. Yeah. David. David um, yeah, it was pretty damn cool. Yeah, it sure is. We've been partnered with uh, Fleet Air Filter for a lot of years. I can't even remember. Um when it was now it's been a long time now about 20 uh, yeah i was gonna say it's been a long time can can you imagine <laughs> when we first started we wouldn't even think about numbers like this did you just hear that number i did that's incredible you know a big number back in the day was what five miles to the gallon yeah <laughs> there was yeah. a time that's when right that's, that's right back in the day yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, even when we first started talking about nine miles to the gallon, which, you know, really hadn't been accomplished, that that was the first signature truck. Those are some of the numbers we were trying to reach. That seemed crazy, you know, that that we might be able to do that. And then when, you know, we started talking about breaking 10, I thought, are we really going to be consistent at this? And now... Um, and Joel's proven this over and over, Henry Albert, a couple other guys that, that we follow. These numbers are real numbers. You know what I find incredible? This is real world. I mean, that was a crazy run you just did, 8,000 some miles, all kinds of terrain, all kinds of weather. And to come up with an average like that is better than most of the super truck projects. Um, it, it was highly a little mind-blowing to me with, with the varied terrain and whatnot. I had two days that really stuck out in my mind. and um, Well, to start, the lowest fuel efficiency on the entire trip, um, I had a day in Texas where the wind was just blowing and it was raining like crazy, and uh, I'd, I'd done 9.6 on that day. So that was the, the basement for the entire trip. Wow. I had a leg where I ran from El Paso, Texas, um, up to Lake Havasu, uh, in Arizona at 14.4 on that wow. leg. And, uh, I, I, I ran my speed, you know, it was in the 55 mile an hour range. And then, uh, I had a tailwind coming out of Cheyenne, Wyoming off the continental divide. And I ran out to the middle of Nebraska cruise control set at 80 mile an hour, which is 1100 <laughs> RPM in my truck. And it done, uh, it done 12.7 miles a gallon at 80 mile an hour coming off the divide. And wow. it was light and it was downhill, obviously, but still you're pushing a hell of a lot of, of cold air. And that number was pretty impressive. I thought so. 
um, overall, just thrilled to death with how the truck's performing. And, you know, it's only going to get better as it breaks in. Right. I'm at 28,000 miles now. And when the weather warms up at next spring, I think this thing is just going to set the world on fire. Wow. Wow. So when we, um, when we get the new APIs, some of the new oils coming out, have you seen some of the weights they're talking about now? Yes. Yes. Looking forward to all of that. I've, uh, I played with these lightweight lubricants for a long time, uh, you know, kind of custom blending my own out in the garage and lightening things up. I, I'd done that on a, a D16 I had years ago where we would take the lightest weight oil we could find at the time. It was a 530, and we'd start pouring the Marvel Mystery Oil to it to thin it up, you know what I mean, and, and uh, <laughs> played with it that way and, and had really good results with it, actually. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I actually just um, got off the phone with BASF on my last leg. I was talking to them, and they're going to send me some more Magic Oil. They've got a new and improved version for the I-Shift and for the rear axle that um, I thought the last stuff pumped like water. I can't imagine what this is going to be. So um, they're, they're talking a, a significant increase in fuel efficiency on this ultra-low viscosity gear oil they're going to send me. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Pretty incredible. Hey, David, since we're talking about, you know, oil weights and viscosity in trucks, um, I was just asking you about your car projects. What kind of oils are you guys using in these these engines now? Uh, I, as thin as I can get. I try to run the zero weight oil, to be honest with you. Are you? Um, okay. On the dyno, it's... Well, you know, we tighten the clearances up in a lot of these race motors we do. And one and a half thousandths is about where we're at. Wow. Um, there's, there's a significant amount of difference in like a 20 W 50, uh, on the diamond. I mean, you put a 20 W 50 in it and it, it robs a little power. Yeah. I'll bet. So, I mean, we, we've, we've got down to, you know, just try to run zero weight oil now. And I mean, it's good on the short race, I, I think, but you know, like on a, a 30 or 40 or 50 lap race, I think you have to just be careful. On what you're doing there, but you know, I mean, the motors are running 8,800 RPMs, and <laughs> which is not a lot compared to some of the other motors, you know. But yeah. 8,800 is pretty strong, you know, and uh, never lift out of it. So, but well, I don't know. I've, so, I've played with that a little bit in the past. Well, you're we're at the exact opposite end of the spectrum of the <laughs> RPM range. Right. So, a lot of what I'm running nowadays, and this was pretty cool stuff. So, when I get on flat ground and I, I don't have a lot of power demand, you know, I've been actually getting out of overdrive or out of uh, direct drive and into overdrive. Uh, and I have a 205 rear axle ratio with a 0.785. Um, overdrive gear. So if I'm running 57 and I kick it up into overdrive, I am putting down the road 57 mile an hour, about 780 RPM. <laughs> and I had stretches where I was running that truck, you know, 400 miles at 780 RPM and it done just fine. It just, hey. I mean, it just kept that instantaneous fuel efficiency bar just buried. So yeah, just talk about opposites. Exactly. That's incredible. Yeah, that's, hey, that's funny. Hey, Joel, 
You, you might want to be careful at mm-hmm. 700 RPM. Aren't you afraid that engine might start running backwards? <laughs> you know, we used to have Detroit's that would do that on occasion, I know. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's very well, very well behaved. I actually posted a couple videos with sound, um, because it's completely vibration free with that turbo compound unit, you know, taking all that stress and strain and the way they have the rods arranged in there where they're standing straight up and down and we're not putting a lot of side force onto the cylinder walls. It, uh, it, I mean, it, it sounded like an electric truck for the most part. It was just dead quiet and, uh, you know, under lighter load where you don't have the power demand, it, the efficiency on it's just kind of mind-blowing, really. Yeah, that is. What, what kind of clearances are they running in the uh, Detroit's, like main rods? I mean, you know, the main bearings and rod bearings. What was the question again? What's What kind of clearances do you guys run? Like in the... I... I, I I don't know what they are. That's something that I could I could ask the the powertrain guys. So so none of this have we opened up or rebuilt. This is just the way it comes right out of the factory. I know they're they're tight, especially on the Volvo. They're they're actually kind of leading away on this ultra thin oil. Um, so I, I know they've really tightened things up. And uh, uh, my understanding is they're going to go through another round of that, getting things even tighter, the clearances. So. Um, but I'll ask that question and see where they're at coming out of the factory nowadays. Yeah, that that'd be really interesting to know because I mean, you know, one to one and a half thousands is is where we're at, and that's usually a five weight oil. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, you you sacrifice one thing to gain another, you know, and that's normal. But uh, even on the board and stuff like that, I mean, we've got those things tight, and you know, it, mm-hmm. but they're living though. I mean, you know, the less the the less clearance you got, the the less slack is there, the, the less it beats on the rod. You know, I mean, that's my theory. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would agree. Keep it tight, and and you're going to have a lot less uh, issues through the through the rods and the, the bearings down on the crank and whatnot. So, um, you know, Volvo's always had that kind of in mind with their crankshaft design. It's a, it's you know, we have massive journal overlap and. And we've got a whole lot of bearing area compared to like a Cummins crank, um, and uh, just a kind of a different theory in general, where we are shorter stroke with a longer rod, so it kind of stands that you know that piston up and down, and we're not side loading the the, the liner. Um, the Cummins is exactly opposite. Uh, it uh, long stroke short rod. To me, it side loads the hell out of the out of the uh, piston liner and with that um the the mid-mount uh liner that they have i I personally don't think it's a good combination when you start to run low rpm but uh they're getting down there i guess they're down to a thousand now where they can actually run the truck on some series of engines which is a good thing for the guys that want to make money that's lower the rpm the better the fuel efficiency there's just no doubt about that yeah sure definitely Hey, Joel, you uh, you threw in the word electric truck in there, so you know I'm going to have to comment on that, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> so here, I since you're doing all this awesome real-world testing and creating all kinds of great numbers, I have, a, I have an idea for you. I think you need to add one truck mm-hmm. to your fleet so we can run an absolute comparison. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to go buy an electric truck this year. But... There's good news. All you have to do is move your operation to uh, California and your electric truck will be free. 
Uh-huh. Did you see the credit they announced? I, well, I've I seen a lot of crazy credits all over the place. I didn't see California specifically, but it wouldn't surprise me if they start paying you to take these things. If, <laughs> it would, it so, would not shock me. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, so you've got the $30,000 federal credit you can get no matter where you are. So you, you've got $30,000 credit to start with from the federal government. But if you move to California and you have less than 10 trucks, you will get a $288,000 credit for your electric truck on top of the 30000 Wow. Is that per That's truck? Crazy. Per truck, yes. Per truck. Jesus, nice. Is that insane or what? But, I mean, you have to... Re- you really have to ask yourself, what the hell good are they? they? You can't go really any distance. From what I understand, Frito-Lay is not running near the distances that their demonstration run um, showed that they could run. And somebody just sent me a picture of one of the new Frito-Lay Teslas on the hook going back. <laughs> so I don't know what happened to the million miles without a breakdown either. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, I hate to pick. Well, I actually like picking on them, but um, I don't, I, I just don't see it as the panacea that everybody else kind of sees the well, electric the, truck for. Will it come into its own? I, I'm sure it will at some point. Are we there? Not even close. And you, you would have to give me $288,000 to take one of those trucks at this point. Uh, there's no way in hell I'd put any of my own money into an electric truck at this point. Well, you won't have to if you move to California. Yeah. But here's the other thing that just <laughs> makes me insane about this. So that 288000 it's a complicated you know, calculation. There's all kinds of crazy rules. That's California. But when you start to look at the federal government's credits, this just makes me crazy. This is nothing but the federal government picking winners and losers. And it's kind of interesting to me that there are some little nuances in these rules that you would swear were written just to punish Tesla. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> with, with what's been going that on with, all. you know, Elon Musk has become a target. But I, I don't even know if I can describe how complicated some of these things are. Let, let's just, I'm just going to jump in and start reading some of these rules and start thinking about how complicated this is going to get. First, the vehicle must be assembled in North America. It must use a battery with at least seven kilowatt hours of capacity and can't exceed a gross vehicle weight rating of 14,000 pounds. This is the you know, personal vehicle tax credit from the federal government. And I'm just going through it just to show Mm -hmm. how complicated it is. So already we have to know where it was assembled, what the kilowatt hour capacity of the battery is, what the weight rating is. But now it gets more complicated because if it's a van, SUV or pickup truck, the manufacturer's suggested retail price can't exceed $80,000. For other vehicles like sedans, the sticker price can't exceed $55,000. But wait, there's more. There are also income limits for buyers. Oh, see, this is probably where you're going to get disqualified, Joel, with all that money you make. Um, To qualify, single filers must have a modified adjusted gross income of $150,000 or less. Heads of household 
have a cap of $225,000 and joint filers can't make more than $300,000. So are, are you confused yet? We have to know where this vehicle was built, what size of the battery is in there. Is it a van, a sedan, or an SUV? How much money did you make? It, it, and it gets worse, believe it or not. Um, let me, uh, there's rules in here about whether it was leased or not. Um, the government is also offering a credit for used electric vehicles. So now we could get into all the weird rules about those. Because um, wow. those are all different if the vehicle's used now. Um, I, I saw something in here where one of the Teslas, the Model Y, it won't qualify for the credit because it's classified as an SUV, but it's not heavy enough. Jesus. Well, I, 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 it's easy for me because I'm not really a believer in government subsidies, so I, I would never even consider any of this stuff. I'd never look at it. So, exactly. I mean, if people like that type of stuff and they want to use it, hey, you know, be my guest, but I am not a believer in them, and uh, so I, I just but, I wouldn't even pay attention to any of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know why I do? Because the one thing I always try to remind people, this is not the government's money. The government doesn't have any money. The government has to take all of that money for all of these credits from us. Yeah, uh, no, you're you're exactly right. I, I get it why, why you're looking at it and have to understand it. You need to know it. You need to put the information out there. Um, I, I've got so much stuff floating around in my head trying to get my truck to run right. I don't have time to worry about what the government Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll just rely on you for that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Let's go from there. It, it's a shame any of us have to even think about this. This is just wrong. And, you know, we, we are going to take a technology that someday may be really incredible, and we're going to set it back at least a decade or two with stupid shit like this. I, I agree. If if the electric vehicle is clearly superior, it will stand on its own. Exactly. You do not need government subsidies to push it out into the marketplace. This just tells you there's something drastically wrong Yes, in my mind, there's I something, agree. especially on the big truck part of it. There is something very, very wrong. If they have to throw that kind of money at you to entice you to buy one of these things, yep. there's, there's just something is not right there. And, uh, um, you know, if, if they were, if Tesla were to come to me and say, I'm going to give you this, run this head to head against your truck and let's see what the result, I would absolutely do that all day long. Sure. I would never buy one at this point. I, I would never take a subsidy on one, but if Tesla directly came and I would love if they did, I mean, I would call them out and say, Hey, I think my diesel truck is going to kick your electric truck's ass. And That's right. I'll make that official right now. That's I think I will. Right. I think I will. I don't think that Tesla truck could have done the round that I just done in the time that I just done with the overall efficiency yeah. that I just achieved. I don't think they can do that. I, Not I even think close. when you convert the electric into diesel fuel numbers, they're around nine miles a gallon, I think. Right. So yeah, I, I would love, I would love to do that project. I don't think they'd ever do it because they're going to get their ass handed to them. But um, if they're, if they're wanting to, I'm here. There you go. I'm, I'm more there than willing. I'll, uh, you know, I, I've been, <laughs> been, uh, 
Elon Musk is, is really, really active on Twitter these days. I'll hit him up with that offer for you. There you go. Yeah. There you go. I'd love to yeah. do it. We'll pick up furniture loads here in Norwalk. I got another driver that, that we can put in a truck and, uh, We'll see if we can get them going to all the same places and take off and go. There you go. You know, something else we should think about. We just talked about the fact, you know, we're already seeing a report that one of the Tesla trucks was on the hook. Well, we have to remember that electric class eight trucks are a brand new animal. We have zero experience Mm -hmm. with these things on the road. They haven't really existed in the real world of moving freight up until right now. And we're going to find all of the problems. And, th- and that's okay. I mean, that's, that's how this has to happen. Sure. But we also have to think yep, about. Absolutely. Th- think about the fact that all of these electric vehicles hitting the market other than Tesla and a couple other, like the Nissan Leaf's been around for a while. Um, but think about that. The Nissan Leaf has been around for a long time. How many of them do you see? Exactly. So I can't. I can't even. I don't even remember seeing one. Exactly. Now let's think about virtually every manufacturer right now of cars hasn't has an electric model. They came out of nowhere. Like everybody's got one. I see commercials all over. These things have no real road time on them. So, you know, at least the Tesla, if I'm going to go buy an electric car, I would go buy a Tesla simply because they've got so much more experience with their vehicles on the road. I can't imagine what a nightmare all of these brand new vehicles are going to be. Well, I I, I think I I agree. Uh, Like me, for example, I, I think there's a place for electric vehicles. I just don't think at this time it's in the truck world. I mean, like if I have an electric car to go back and forth to work, I live five miles from my office. Right. That makes sense. But for me to travel from Alabama or from Mobile to Nashville, Tennessee, it makes no sense to have an electric car to do that because it won't make the trip. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just, I I can't imagine... You know, all these manufacturers just out of the blue, it seems like, created an electric vehicle. And I just can't imagine what kind of issues we're going to see with these things. So I'm of the same mindset here that electric has its place and it has its place today. You know, school bus is a great example, I think, of where electric would be a, a, a great application Maybe a garbage truck would be a good application. Um, any final mile delivery services, you know, that where they're at home base every night, anything that returns to home base every night and doesn't go out more than 150 miles, um, it, it's, that's probably a good fit for today's electric technology. Um, I, I, the 500 mile run, I, I don't know. It, it still doesn't set right with me. I, kind of watching what Frito-Lay is doing with their stuff. And, you know, they're like, oh, we're going to get there eventually. Well, uh, yeah, of course, eventually you're going to get there <laughs> right. in the real world. But um, it, it's it's kind of like they're advertising these electric trucks to the general public, and it's it's a lot of glitz and a lot of fanfare, and it's a lot of whoop-de-doo, you know. But they're not, they're not 
advertising these things or bringing the type of information that a guy like me would need to put one into service. We need details. Hell, we can't even get the weight of this damn Tesla truck yet. They won't tell us how much it weighs. Wait a minute. What are we supposed to do with that? Wait a minute. So I forgot about this. So the Nikola Mm -hmm. truck, I think they're calling it the Trey, that cab over T-R-E, I think Mm there is the name of it. I don't know how real this was. I didn't have time to track it down. I I may try over this weekend if I get some time. I found two ads where dealers were selling these things. They were like listed ads mm-hmm. and it did yes. list the weight. It was like 29,000 pounds. Yes. Yes. I've seen that. I've seen them also like, like $350,000 and it's a 29,000 pound truck. Right. Um, now, if the gover- if the government's going to pay you to take it, <laughs> I guess maybe you got to start thinking about it. If your duty cycle's right, I mean, you would you would have to. Most business people they're gonna they're gonna have to look at that. But is that anything that's going to come in and dominate the marketplace? I, I don't think so. The only people I know that are running that type of truck right now, there is an equipment rental place that I think they're also a dealer. I think. And they're, you know, they're, they're pulling around one of these equipment trailers delivering, you know, high lifts and, yeah. and little front end loaders and skid steer loaders to customers. And that, that's a great application. But when you consider the upfront cost of that truck, oh, how yeah. do you make that work? Well, here's another problem. Did you see the wheelbase on that thing? Well, yes. And that's, that is the problem that a lot of people are having because the batteries take up so much space. They've got to lengthen the chassis out to fit all the batteries to get the range, and then it kills their aerodynamics. <laughs> well, so that's a, that's a huge problem. Yeah, I saw that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, hooked up to a van trailer. Are they kidding? It's awful. You know, especially in the wintertime when you're pushing, you're pushing dense air. How, yeah. how do you make that work? Yeah, it's just awful. So I, what yeah. does it cost to replace the battery in one of them? Uh, nobody's talking about that yet either. Right. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I mean, you know, just from this, for example, you know, we, we own a tow company, we have trucks. Well, the, the new thing that's out now, if we go to a rec scene and we pick an electric car up, we are supposed to bring it to our lot. It's got to sit 20 foot from any vehicle in our holding pen. No way. On all four corners. Yes. Because what happens is they catch fire. <laughs> so if we have, I mean, you know, at any time I have 40 to 50 cars in my lot in the back. So if I put this one car in there and just say it's been an accident and just say the battery's ruptured or, or whatever and it catches fire, well, if it's not within 20 feet, it's a possibility my insurance wouldn't pay off on anything. Uh, unbelievable. Why wow. well, in, in that, yeah. you know, if you go but into then, any lot, um, David, you deal with this constantly. The, the biggest issue is space. You guys are constantly moving vehicles around trying to create space. And, and one car would come in and wipe out that whole arrangement. Well, I mean, you've been to our facility. Yeah. At any yeah. given time on our property, we have over 100 vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And some At of them very large. <laughs> some of them very large. But 
this is this is the kicker to the the electric car thing. So we tow it in, we store it in our lot. Well, it takes up the amount of room that in reality four cars would take up. Wow. So this has been a this has been a really big discussion. Well, storage in our lot is twenty dollars a day. That it, but should it be more? Yes. For that vehicle it yes. should be eighty dollars a day. That's right, because it takes up Correct. four spaces. Right. Well, so and I, I would, I would, I would tack a little more on there just for the liability part of it. That damn thing might catch on fire. So you've got <laughs> right. extra liability. Generally, your towed cars aren't just going to, you know, burst into flames for no particular reason. So, yeah, you got the the space and the added liability there. You know damn well your insurance is going up once they know you're storing electric cars on on site. So that's going to get really expensive. I, I agree with you. You're going to have to charge more money. Well, the other kicker to all of it, they have recommended that we park them on concrete. <laughs> so any, any spills, anything that happens or leaks, it's on concrete and it's cleanable. Oh. So if it's on dirt or asphalt, it just soaks in the ground. Oh, uh, man. You know, yeah. But there again, they still want you to store it for twenty dollars a day. That's insane. I mean, I'm like, really? Yeah. So, I, you know, we're we're fighting that tooth and nail right now, and I'm I just shake my head. And if we know it's an electric car, I really don't even want to tow it. I'll bet. I just just will let somebody else deal with it. Yeah. Because it's the same price to tow electric cars as a gas burner or diesel. You know, I mean, oh. it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, if but that that's that's the the other things that the electric oil is brought up that I think that most common people doesn't understand. It, so, they don't, you know, on our end looking at, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it costs more money and that's just the bottom line. Yep. Yep. All right. Hey, what do you say? We take some calls. Sure. Absolutely. All right. Let's, uh, let's get started in Ohio today. Jeremy, welcome to the program. Good morning. I had a question. I have a 21 Freightliner with a DD15. I was looking to get the fast fuel system. And I was just wondering if anyone had heard anything. I know before they they didn't uh, make one for the DD15, but here in the last couple months, now one's out. So I didn't know what benefit it would give me. In the past, I heard someone say that it the system that's already in the freight liners, you wouldn't really benefit much from it, but I didn't know if it would help with injectors and stuff like that. Or I, 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 I've got an opinion on these systems that um, when people say that, oh, they don't do anything. Um, yeah. and, and I'll tell you right now, I was of that mindset several years ago before I really started digging into this. And, you know, I think, I think some people are smoking crack when they say it doesn't help anything that the factory fuel system is, is just the, the absolute very best it could possibly be. And it couldn't be any better. I don't buy that. Um, what these systems do, um, they are going to help prevent cavitation at the mechanical fuel pump. Um, and that's always a good thing. So that's going to make your mechanical fuel pump last longer. Um, in addition to that, when they take the inert gases out of the, out of the fuel before it passes through the system, it's going to reduce nucleation on the other side of that fuel pump. 
So what happens when you get nucleation points? Any bend, curve, twist, obstruction in that fuel system is a potential nucleation point. And when you have fuel saturated with inert gases, what happens is you get these these microscopic, um, very, very high heat areas with that inert gases in there because it's a bubble that's collapsing in on itself and it gets very hot. And when it collapses in on itself, it forms a carbon molecule. And we see this a lot of times as asphaltine in the fuel. So we see some of these newer engines that they're getting, you know, the fuel filters just black as black can be. And nobody's like, oh, how, what's happening? Why is it doing this? You know, in my mind, it's it's these nucleation points, it's inert gas, these bubbles collapsing in on their cells. We're getting little carbon molecules floating around in the fuel system. The filter's picking it up when they start to attach to each other. I think you're going to see a reduction in asphaltine in the fuel. You're going to see a reduction in cavitation at the fuel pump. Both of these things are going to lead to better life of the system overall, regardless of the brand. I'm an air dog guy, but it doesn't really make any difference. Faster air dog, they're, they're doing a lot of the, the same things in, in that regard. So I think it's good for the overall health of the fuel system. What I have also learned as we, we get more and more into downsped powertrains and Freightliner's not at the point that Volvo is in terms of downspeeding, but they're starting to get there. A mechanical fuel pump has an efficiency range, and this pump is totally dependent upon the engine RPM. You know, it's it's not electric. It is it's a reliable mechanical fuel pump, but it has an efficiency range. And as we slow the RPM of these engines down, that assist pump that's you know kind of supercharging the inlet of the the mechanical fuel pump that's on the engine helps us maintain higher efficiency on that pump while reducing the cavitation at the same time. So we dynoed um, uh, one of the aggressively downsped um, Volvo power plants. And what we saw at the low RPM, say from 800 up to 1100, we saw about a 40 to 50 um, pound feet increase in torque. Uh, you're, you're talking, I don't know, four to 10 horsepower, but that, that torque increase at that low RPM is very nice when you're cruising at extremely low RPM. And it's, it's enough where you're going to, you're going to notice it at the lower RPM. Once that mechanical fuel pump gets up on its efficiency step, so to speak, you're not going to notice a huge performance increase from like 1100 out to where it falls off the curve at maybe 1600. If you are, for whatever reason, running your engine way out there at 1,600 RPM, you know, going out closer to 1,800, you may see a, a, a bump in performance again there. But um, th these pumps ab absolutely have a benefit in my mind, and I, I think that's across all, all engine brands. I think you're going to see a benefit. So um, my vote is, is that you put one on if you can get one for it. I, I would jump in here, but I can't imagine anything I could possibly add to that. Jeremy, was that a pretty thorough answer? Yeah, that was a very thorough answer. So, um, yeah, I was just trying to trying to figure out if it was worth the, the money to put in. So, so hey, hey, Jeremy, when yeah. the, the next time you talk to somebody and say, then somebody says, oh, well, on that particular engine, it's just not worth it make sure you ask them why not and see what kind of explanation you get from them. Yeah. 
I'm sure it was something that they heard from somebody else. They, exactly. And, and, and I knew that they didn't. I, I, the other thing was is I knew they didn't make one for the, the DD-15 for a while while there. Um, and I don't know the, the full reason of why they didn't make one for it. Um, I think it was like the pressure and the because of the pressure that the common rail was at or something like that. But so, yeah. The other question that I had, um, I know in the racing world and in, even in the automotive world, uh, they make kind of a pre-filter sock. Because uh, I do have the uh, fleet air filter uh, in my truck, and I've had it since day one. Um, and I was just curious if, if, if you ever tested any kind of uh, like pre-filter sock or anything like that, just kind of to catch the larger... I don't know, pollen and, and um, the larger things that come into the air cleaner. Just be able to pull it off easily, rinse it off real quick, throw it back on uh, instead of pulling the filter out and oiling it. I, I do have two filters that I actually put in a big Ziploc bag. Um, and then when I oil it, I just spray it in there and I vacuum seal the, the Ziploc bag, not with a whole bunch of pressure, but um, and then it just sits there until I need it the next time sitting in oil. So, you know, we had made pre-filters for like the Peterbilts and they went over the outside of the canister itself and we actually made those for a place, uh, a construction company that was based out of Jacksonville, Florida when they was working on the interstate and they, they was very beneficial from working on the side of the road and only driving three or four miles down the road. But what we found out, if you ran those pre-filters for long hauls, it affected the fuel mileage. So, you know, at that at that point, me thinking out loud, I'm, and I really shot myself in the foot when I did, but I was telling the guys, you know, just for the heck of it, take a T-shirt and put it over that. And so they did, and the guy calls me back, and he said, man, the T-shirt worked perfectly. I said, well, that answers your question. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but, you know, like, like I was telling him, you know, you can buy a pack of T-shirts for, you know, 20 bucks, and, you know, these outerwears are making their, you know, $75 for a pair of them. I said, just buy a pack of T-shirts, you know. So, but, yeah. Yeah, you know, we can make that. Is it beneficial? You know, my personal opinion, it has its place. But its place is in off-road world. I don't think that it, it should be on on road, because if if you're servicing your filter in, in increments of you know twelve thousand or fifteen or twenty or thirty, um, you're staying on top of it enough that I just can't imagine that the filter getting that dirty would even help. Okay. All right. Perfect. All right. Thanks for the call. Hey, David, you know, it's interesting. I, I didn't know that you went through that phase where you were making that external cover for the Vortox. I had a company that chased me for about a year, almost two years, I think. They would constantly send me emails and it, it was the same thing. They had created this sock kind of thing that went over the Vortox. They thought it was the greatest thing ever. And my question was, but why? Why do I need this? And, yeah, and it, it never made sense to me. And I, I kept looking at their numbers and, and all their claims. And I thought that this just doesn't make sense to me that we would need this and there would be any benefit. In fact, I thought if anything, there's probably a downside. And I, I'm pretty sure that company's gone. That was probably five or six years ago. And I haven't heard anything from them in a long time. 
you know, my theory on that, you know, as far as like dirt world or dump trucks and, and you're going from point A to point B, which is, you know, a mile or 10 miles away. I, I think that's a place for it. Yeah. That you know, makes sense. Does our filter help on fuel mileage at that point? No, not really. Right. The only benefit that you pick up in the dump truck world is the washability. Well, if you're washing the filter anyway, you know, in my opinion, it's only a crutch to keep you from washing it. Right. So, right. you know, the, the T-shirt trick really worked good. I mean, there you go. it's as simple as it gets, you know. So. It, you know, here's something, we kind of a theme today. We just had a caller ask about, you know, like the FAST system and why they didn't make one for the DD-15. You know, that tells me something about a company. They're not putting a product out and saying, look, this works for everybody. Just buy it. Don't ask any questions. They they were admitting, look, our technology works, but right now it won't work on this engine for this reason. The same thing with, with you and this. You, you tried it. You know, somebody actually asked for it. You tried it. You looked at the numbers and you came to the conclusion that, look, if you're over the road, forget it. This doesn't even have a benefit. If you're in the dirt world, there is a benefit here, but just go buy some cheap T-shirts instead. Again, it tells me, you know, you have a company where you're not just going to sell something because you can. Well, most people that know me, I'm not driven by money. I'm driven by the fact that something works. Yeah. And anything I make, and and I get fussed out a lot, you know, how come you don't make this? Well, I've made it, and there's no benefit. Exactly. So right. why should I make it, – it can't benefit me. It has to benefit the end user, and that's always been my theory behind things. And even today, I mean, if, if I have somebody call me up and they want me to make a filter, well, I may make a filter, but the only benefit they have is washing it. There's no other benefit. Right. So at that point, how much gain do you actually – gain over a, a lifetime you know everybody says well you know if it's a lifetime filter i gain not having to buy a filter over this length of time but on the same hand if you're not servicing it like you're supposed to there's no gain it, right right yep so all right good stuff so Let's... i've got the, the i've got the fleet air filter in my truck and, and I'll, t- I'll tell you what i think the best benefit of the fleet air filter is so when i'm uh out on the highway, I can hear that blowdown turbine whistling now. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty enter- entertaining going down the road, being able to hear the blowdown turbine. So, but, uh, no, I, I, uh, I've, I've had it since day one on this truck, and uh, um, I am confident that it has helped increase the fuel efficiency. Now, I have not been able to benchmark or run any comparisons yet, but uh, that'll be coming before too awful long, I'm sure we'll we'll get hey. in the position where we can do some benchmarking to to see how much of a, a bump we're getting. Hey, hey, Joel, come on! We already know everything we need to know. The truck has a fleet air filter in it, and you got 11.6 <laughs> miles to the gallon. Story's <laughs> over. There you go. <laughs> End of story, right? That's right. <laughs> well, that's pretty awesome. Yep. <laughs> you know when you when you get 11 miles to the gallon. Getting eleven point one or eleven point two, that's a major accomplishment. <laughs> You're right. You know, I mean, well, yeah. it, yep. it, here's here's what I'm I'm thinking. Um, if I look at stuff historically, and 
of course, my brother's fleet. He's running some downsped stuff. Um, he's at 2.26 ratio with the 0.785 overdrive. And I ran one of his trucks all last summer. His is a six by four. Um, I got the best 30 day I got out of that was 10.22 doing essentially the same thing that I'm doing now with mine. Um, so we went from 10.22 to 11.6 by going six by two. We put a air dog on it. We put a, a fleet air filter, um, back on wide base singles, um, which I never thought that I would be, but I'm <laughs> kind of happy that I did. Yeah, I've got some minimum minimum arrow going on on the trailer. I do have a belly skirt. It, it's not covering up the tandems. It's just a standard length. It's you know nothing special. I have nothing on the nose of the trailer at all. Um, I've got the little Michelin air guard things on the back doors. I'm not really sure what they're doing. I'm not an aerodynamic guy. Um, I, I understand that they work, but I, as far as being able to tell you exactly what's right. going on and why that's, right. that's not me. I, I have not studied aerodynamics to that point. So I have minimal aerodynamics on the trailer. Um, the truck, like I said, is at 28 or 29,000 miles historically from, from mile one to 60,000 miles um, in my brother's fleet, we see seven tenths of a mile a gallon increase in fuel efficiency wow. in a Volvo. Wow. Um, so I'm thinking, um, we're going to add another three tenths just on the break in of this thing that puts me almost at 12. And we've done this in the dead of winter. Yeah. So when we get back into warm weather, we get back into decent fuel. Yeah. I, I know this sounds crazy, but I think I'm going to be in that 12 mile a gallon range. That's going to be incredible. I, I, yeah, I, I, I think we're going to get there. Yeah. Great stuff. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but yeah, I think it's, I think, I think we're going to get there. Hey, hey so David. Intake, intake tube wise. Yes, sir. I was just going to say, uh, I don't know if you caught it. He, he reeled off a lot of numbers there earlier and he was talking about the truck Two, what is it? Two Oh five gear ratio on that. This one, Joel. Yeah. Um, can, now we're going to, we're going to back that back up to 2.16 so we can get some benchmarking information. In fact, I will probably swap the two one six back in before I leave on my next long run. Um, I got another 24 stop and I'll, I'm going to end up out in your area. So I'm going to try and swing by with the truck. Excellent. Um, I've got four stops in Oregon, so Excellent. I'm going to try and swing by. So I will be at 2.16 on the next long run that I go. Cause we need to, we need to benchmark that to make sure that the two Oh five is actually as good as what I think it is. Um, my gut tells me it is, but we don't have the supporting data yet. Can you believe those numbers, David? This is mind boggling. I mean, I, I, like I say, I'll go back to what I said earlier. I remember in the day, if we got six miles to the gallon, we just cut the cartwheels. <laughs> right. But you know, he's doubled that. You know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. It, it's, just, it's just, well, and that's, that's one thing I was going to ask was like the air intake tubes on this thing. I mean, what, what size mm -hmm. tubes do you have? You know, I will get that information for you um, and, and pass it along right off the top of my head. I, I don't know. It's, I uh, mean, just, one, of the, one of the engineers internally, I, I'll tell you how I got onto to fleet air. 
Um, so we participated in the NACV run on less fuel efficiency demonstration in 2017. And then again, in 2019, um, I actually drove in 17 and then my stepson drove in 19 and I just kind of prepped the truck for him. And I had actually put a K and N filter in, in 2017 and we had tracked that for quite a while. And I had several other identically spec trucks versus the paper. And we were seeing pretty consistent three tenths on that. Um, and so that, that's how I got into the idea of the washable, cleanable. And of course, I've heard Kevin and everybody else are talking about fleet air. And so I figured, you know what the hell, we'll, we'll, we'll throw one in the, in the purple truck here. And uh, um, <clears throat> all I can tell you is seat of the pants observations at this point. Um, I do hear more of the turbo noise and the blowdown turbo coming up through, which I think is probably an indication of, probably less restriction. I, I don't know that to be a fact, but, uh, um, probably, uh, we just look at the overall numbers on the truck and they have far exceeded what I thought we were going to do. And, um, I, I am sure that this place, the fleet air filters playing a part. I just, you know, at some point we will be able to benchmark and, and verify exactly what's going on, but I just haven't had the chance. We did have an engineer internally who he's of the opinion that the the current setup for the air filter and stuff on on the truck is too restrictive. That's his own personal opinion. Um, so there there may be some things that we could do to to uh, further improve the situation. So what filter number are you running? Right off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you. What, whatever goes in the new generation Volvo. <laughs> um, and I don't know, not, not right off the top of my head anyway. The, the yeah, reason I, I ask, there's, there's different things that you can do to improve filters. Okay. First thing is, is lightening up like the PPA, which is just, it's just the size of the holes itself. I've, mm-hmm. I actually have a filter that we've done that has two different PPAs in one filter. Okay. Um, and I wasn't going to let this out of the bag, but I will since we're on this point today. So <laughs> what happens is the the way that you filter air is that you never want to trap dirt on the outside of the filter. You always want to trap dirt to the inside because there's more room inside the filter than it is outside. So if you trap it on the outside, it walls the filter off. But if you trap it on the inside, it has a tendency to disperse itself and, and cells inside of the foam. And that's the whole goal. That's why I tell everybody, don't oil your filter on the outside, only oil the inside of it. Well, mm-hmm. so we come up with this idea of opening up the PPA on the outside of the filter, which would face the powder of the motor enclose the cells to the inside of the motor. Well, if you know how foam is made, that's very difficult to do. So you can't just take foam and and make it to the point where it's large on the outside and small on the inside. So we come up with an idea how to put two different PPAs together. And I've tried that. And it actually works. The only downside to it is you never notice the filter being dirty because mm-hmm. the dirt gets inside of it. 
you know. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're trying to overcome at this point, how to figure out, you know, if, if you run at 10,000 miles, which is super easy to do with our filter, um, mm-hmm. you can actually run at 30 or 40 and get away with it. But if you run mm-hmm. at 10,000 miles, how do we get the dirt out the inside of it? Mm-hmm. That's what we're working on today, trying to figure out how to get the dirt out the inside of the filter because it traps inside gotcha. You know, and, and my theory has always been you can wash it out and break it down. And once you break the oil out of the filter, the, the oil is really what holds the dirt in a sense. If you break the oil out, then it falls out. But when it's inside of it, it doesn't want to do that. You have to wash it, you know, more than twice to get it out. And honestly, more than four times to get it out. You have to wash it several times. So, but that's something we've worked on. Uh, we're getting there with it. I mean, will we have it out before the year's up? I don't know yet. But that's something that, that you make a test for us and tell us. Um, and I, I think there's room for improvement on fuel mileage there. There's definitely room for uh, airflow improvement uh, just because we wouldn't have to run this stick of material at that point. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely open to it. If, if you've got something that you want to you wanna send up, and we can, uh, we can give her a shot anyway. Yeah, David, you're not going to find anybody that tracks more numbers better. Well, you know, you know how I am on numbers. Exactly. So if 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 he does the way I do, then you know, it it has to be real for me. Right. Everything has to be real stuff. So, I mean, if it's real and it works, I pass it along. If it's if it don't work, it just gets put in the corner here at the shop. There you go. We've been doing a really nice scatter chart that we overlay. uh, freight efficiency overlaid with fuel efficiency, and on the scatter chart, the 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 dots we are actually assigning speed to the dots now, so we can oh, nice. actually see freight efficiency, fuel efficiency, and the speed, and then you can really get a sense for how everything's interrelated. So, yeah, if you send something up, what we would do on that scatter chart is we would have an indication of what element would be what on the scatter chart, and uh, um, you'd probably get, I mean, that's as real world as it gets. It doesn't get any more real world than that. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you want to do something, I can, uh, I'll talk to my guy that helps me put the charts and stuff together, um, based on the data that I collect. And I'm sure that we could, we could notate from the very beginning. I've had the, the standard fleet air in there. We could show that. And then, if we move forward with something new, we could show the upgraded version and then have them both combined on the same chart and get a get a really good sense for what's going on. Right. I, I think that'd be awesome. I mean, because I, I think most of our filters, uh, three-tenths is what we normally see. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, some of them I got getting a half mile to three-quarters of a mile per gallon better. But a good average is, is three to four-tenths. I mean, if we picked mm-hmm. up another tenth or two, that's easy, you know, for you to track. Most people can't probably track one tenth. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The resolution on a tenth is damn difficult to do. You're exactly right. And that three tenths is exactly what what we were we were seeing. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think we're we're probably on the same wavelength here. Yeah. So um, yeah, if, if you've got something and you want to do something, um, uh, yeah. Kevin's got all my contact information. Just send it on sure. up, and we will uh, we'll go from there. Perfect. Well, that that gives that gives me somebody else to 
to actually test something other than me, you know, because everybody, well, you there know, you go. <laughs> no, I'm not. So <laughs> excellent. All right. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. Awesome. Let's uh, let's grab another call. Let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome. Howdy. Um, I got so many things now, but I'll keep it short. So I've hauled cars for 22 years, and I think mm-hmm. I've hauled less than 10 fully electric vehicles. Really? Most of I've hauled wow. two years and about five Mercedes, I think, fully electric. And, you know, they say, just go buy an electric car. Uh-oh. Paul? I think we lost Paul. Oh, but out of are. the price range of your regular guy. Oh, did I disappear? Yeah, you're back. Can you hear me now? Okay. Um, on a show on Sirius XM the other day, they were talking about downspeeding trucks and companies that oh, have been boy. using downspeed <laughs> engines. Yeah. <laughs> but their, their, brake, their brake wear had gone up substantially. No, so what shit. is the what? What? Yeah, well, that's what I thought. What? What? What's the, what is the Volvo engine braking like? The Volvo engine brake um, is on par with what we are running traditionally now. Um, on the Gen One engine, they did have they did have a little bit of issue with the engine brake not being uh, strong enough. Now, if they're just putting you know, seven inch wide drum brakes on their trucks. Uh, okay, maybe, but, um, I can't imagine if they're going to have a downsped powertrain, they're still running drum brakes on a truck. Um, I'm running disc brakes. I have about one, I have 1% usage on the engine brake because I prefer to manage my roll windows. To me, if I'm having to use the engine brake, I'm not driving right. Um, you know, I want to get all of that rollout that I can possibly get. So I, I don't use engine brake very much and, um, I, I have zero noticeable, um, brake wear increase on drum brakes. If you're using, if it's a fleet spec and they're, you know, compromising on the the brake friction material that they're using. uh, Okay. Yeah. I, I, I can probably see maybe that happening. It doesn't have to be that way. You put disc hey, brakes on there, you won't you won't have that issue. Hey Joel. Well, the thought let, I had was it's a fleet it's a fleet truck, it's a fleet driver too. He don't give a shit. So well, yeah. even, I mean, we've, my brother has that situation, but even with the disc brakes, and you can take uh, a complete cowboy and put behind a wheel, and you're not going to see uh, huge, huge increases in brake wear. Hey, hey Joel. Let, no, I didn't think that. Let's mm-hmm. let's do this. Even let's go to the worst case scenario: undersized brakes, cheap pads, whatever. I mean, worst case scenario with brakes. Mm-hmm. How long are the brakes lasting in your brother's fleet? And I know he's not doing that, but just give us a rough idea. I mean, brakes last a long time. Yeah, these so days. they're they're going out over five hundred thousand miles. So, you know, I'm probably closer to 700,000 miles before we're doing pads on the uh, disc brakes. Yeah. So let's think about that for a second. Let's say that, you know, they see a 10% change, which I, I doubt there's any way 
just because you're running a downsped engine, you're going to see a 10% change. But even if you did, so now we're talking about brake pads that might go from 500,000 miles. Instead, they might go 550. When you look at the cost, we can't even measure that in pennies. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. And for what you're saving in fuel efficiency, you're going to bitch about, <laughs> yeah, that, that just makes no sense. Right. <laughs> it makes no yeah. sense at all. Well, well my, my 20, built in 2013, 2014 model truck with 1,152,000 miles on it, I've replaced my disc pads on the steer axle because one caliper failed and I had to replace the caliper. But on my drive axle, I still have the original pads, and they have. I just had the wheels off recently, and I still have about six millimeters of pad left. <laughs> yeah, I, I, they go for forever and a day. And I mean, I, I, my my thought is is that they're still on drum brakes, and they probably got a friction material in there that uh, is little less expensive because they didn't want to pay full yeah. price for premium pads. And so you get what you get. Yeah. So, so I, I reset my, uh, my trip meter and fuel mileage and everything at the start of the year. And I, I'm on uh, about 1850 miles. And so far my average this year, I'm at 5.7 miles to the gallon. So I'm a little bit over hey, half you're, what you're at. <laughs> yeah, but Pushing you're pretty ugly aerodynamically. Yes, yes, exactly. People just so tell me you, I'm ugly, you, period. So. Well, <laughs> I hear that too. <laughs> We're in the same boat, my friend. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so. All right, that's all I got. I'll let someone else have a turn. Have fun. Happy New Year, everybody. All right. Thanks, thanks for the call. Let's go to Missouri. Bob, welcome to the program. Wow. Hi there. How's everybody doing today? Doing good. What's on your mind? Hey, I posted some articles on the uh, Facebook page for Let's Track. Does nobody look at that anymore? Uh, well, I won't say nobody. We have uh, a team in the company that <laughs> kind of posts and manages Facebook, but I can tell you this. I don't even know if my login still works for Facebook. I know you ain't been using it very much, but I don't have anywhere else to put stuff to, to uh, aggravate you. Yeah. I posted some articles on there about Eon Wright. I don't know if that name rings a bell for anybody. He was involved in Tesla's original, he was one of the original five with Tesla. And Eon didn't think a full right battery speed. electric. I, I, I know right who this speed. is, yes. Right yep. speed, yes. Yeah. They came to market in uh, March of 2022 with a conversion kit for class seven and eight trucks. And what he's saying is the weight of the batteries is inefficient. You still there? But they are pairing a fulcrum 300, I believe it's 386 horsepower turbine jet engine that with a uh, 80 kilowatt generator, a uh, weight of 280 pounds. And what they're doing is they're doing conversions on garbage trucks, buses, and class seven and eight vehicles and class uh, five and six vehicles. 
and they're not using the big batteries. They're only using an 80 kilowatt battery instead of a 960, I think it's 960 kilowatts on the Tesla. So you're looking at a approximately 1,000 pound. I think the Tesla S-Class battery is 1,200 pounds. So you got a 1,200 pound battery. Well, it gives these trucks a 40 mile range off just the battery, but then this fulcrum generator kicks in and because it can run at full 80,000 RPM and it's a sweet spot all the time and it's not trying to drive gears, it's they're gaining a 52% less fuel consumption in these garbage trucks over a conventional piston engine. So and here's, here's my thought on all of this. I, I think what they're doing for again for like the final mile type stuff garbage trucks school buses this may be viable i don't think it's going to be viable over the road i have talked to multiple engineers about this and i i've got a a little bit different take on this very similar to what right speed wants to do except what i want to do is i want to optimize the the existing diesel engine that i have right now so when I don't have to increase and decrease RPM on this thing, the the D13TC with the blowdown turbine going down the road, it just racks up incredible fuel efficiency. It's very, very efficient. So I have a lift axle. Um, we need to have hub motors in that lift axle, and we need to have hub motors on the drive axle. We don't need a lot of horsepower. Let's just say we put 50 horsepower at each position in a hub motor. Exactly. So yep. Let's say we put an, another blowdown turbine in the exhaust to run a generator to charge a small battery pack, and then we only use the electric, for example, climbing the hill, and as soon as we go over the hill, it disengages completely. I don't even want to try to backfeed it and charge the battery because that's going to that's gonna reduce my roll window. Um, I'll just let the exhaust go ahead and charge the battery through another blowdown turbine and just have a very simple electric motor situation. Um, we would pick up another 200 horsepower on top of the 455, 1900. I'm so you're at 655. You're probably going to be at 24, 2500 pound feet of torque. You got a truck that goes anywhere and performs at a very high level. Um, I, I, I like that concept. Plus, we get front-wheel drive, which is going to really make that truck a whole lot safer in the wintertime. Uh, imagine climbing hills, and we got tor- torque vectoring on the front axle to, to keep things all nice and straight. Um, uh, thinking on the same lines I, as me, but my thing, Joe, is I'm running a 377 with 12.7 Detroit, pulling mm-hmm. a reefer, and I got a big bunk, mm-hmm. so I'm running an 8-kilowatt eight, owning own generator. I've got three mm-hmm. engines on that thing. If I can mm-hmm. run one 300-pound sure. jet turbine engine and generate enough power with a 100-kilowatt battery, um, those motors that they're using are putting out 250 uh, pounds of torque or no horsepower per motor, and they're using four motors. Mm-hmm. They'll pull a 44% grade. If I can run that engine that turbine engine efficiently keep that battery charged. And I'm, I'm really basically, it's just like running your generator for your motor. 
you're running the motor to run the generator to keep your battery charged for your lights and everything. Same concept. Except in this case, you're using the electric motors and the torque of an electric motor to drive that so, truck. So my first question to you, being an over-the-road truck driver, and let, let's say this, this turbine burns diesel fuel, what happens when it breaks down? Where are you going to go? I my question was going to be you know when you break down in this thing you're not going to pull into the TA (laughs) (laughs) you're not not going to Pittsburgh Power you're not going to TA you're done I mean you're just basically basically it's a turbo Pittsburgh Power could probably work on it Uh, no, it's a little more complicated. Like it's a big turbo driving it. So. Well, t- turbine <laughs> engines are significantly different than turbochargers. There, there are some similarities, but he, I, I, my question, and Joe, you kind of mentioned it, was what does this turbine run on? What fuel? Yeah, it's any fuel. It will run on diesel, jet fuel, ke- uh, kerosene. So it'll run on natural I, gas. So I, I I get that, and I've seen engines that do that, but every time I've seen a multi-fuel engine, mechanic, I'm sure. they're, they're not very efficient. They're not very efficient. The diesel yes, that's, is going to be your most I, efficient for power in a turbine engine. That's one of the reasons the aeronautics, the, all your planes went to jet engines back in the 50s, I believe it was, because the, the combustion engine wasn't efficient to produce the torque that they needed. And the weight to torque ratio was a lot better with the turbine engine. And the turbine engines were more dependable. So my question then becomes, if turbine engines absolutely work in aircraft, they've been around for 70 plus years in that field, why haven't they been adopted earlier? Um, one of the bigger crawlbacks with turbine engines in an automobile is the torque. You're driving a gear and not a battery. A turbine engine is very efficient at running a generator because it can run at one speed at its most efficient speed, but it has a lot of lag and taking off and stop and taking off in a vehicle to get those gears driving. And that's one of the reasons the Chrysler turbine people loved the vehicle, but it did have a lag in taking off and getting going. The government actually put an end to Chrysler because they put an export tax and told Chrysler that they were going to have to pay, I forget how many thousands of dollars for every one of those cars they produced on the engine. And Chrysler said, no, it ain't worth it. Union Pacific tried this back in the 50s with turbines on exactly what you're saying, uh, doing a generator, and they just could not make them uh, efficient. Uh, they, they actually had to put in a, a couple extra tender cars on the, on the uh, engines just to carry fuel for the damn turbine. Now, it had all kinds of power, and, and it performed well, but the efficiency sucked. Most of your engines on the BNSF now are turbine engines. It's a turbine generator driving the electric motors. Um, if you've got contacts at Mac, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mac worked yeah. with Revo as the company that's doing this conversion kit with uh, Ian Wright now out of California. And they did some work mm-hmm. with them on doing some Macs. And um, FedEx actually ordered 25 trucks and with possible another 100 trucks coming. And they're doing, like I said, right now, they're doing major garbage trucks 
and bus systems in New Zealand are going to it. And yeah, one, to, one of the things got me looking at the first thing, you know, Kevin was like, turbine, turbine diesel will never work. And I got to look at them and I found these articles and I started digging deeper and deeper. And it's like, he's been one of those big questions. Why is nobody doing it? Well, somebody is doing it. And it's one of the original founders, the man that actually set up Tesla that's doing it. And the reason he left Tesla is because he tried to tell Elon Musk that the total electric semi wouldn't work. It had to have a range extender. The, the battery packs, we didn't have the battery pack yet. We didn't have the, the electric technology to do it yet. We were going to have to come up with an efficient way to produce the electric to give these vehicles the range we needed. And the turbine engine is the most efficient so, engine for producing electric. So, Bob, do they have any, any um, efficiency numbers? I mean, that, that's what's going to determine this. And, and this they is do. why. Exactly. And they do. This is why. Some of the articles, there's a TED Talk I posted for you. And so what, you'll go to what, the web page if you, if you can get logged on. So I what are several articles on it? So here's what we have to look at. And this Go is ahead. why I get so crazy about all the government subsidies on the electric vehicles, because it obscures all the numbers and nobody pays attention to them. Right. What, what has to be looked at for our industry oh. is total cost of ownership. How much do total I have to cost, pay to buy what this vehicle? What, what is the fuel, you, the energy? You don't buy the, they're not making a vehicle. They're making a conversion kit to but, convert the vehicles that we have and repower no. our vehicles now. Bob, uh, but that's just semantics. I, I didn't the say they build the vehicle. That, I, I just said whatever right. so, okay. whatever solution we're the looking cost. at, we have got to look at total cost of ownership. That That's what's going to determine what exactly. technology we move freight with. How much do I have to pay to own the vehicle in the beginning? What's the energy cost for the vehicle per mile? What are the maintenance costs for the vehicle per mile? And how often do I have to... Bob, Bob, we can't both talk at the same time. Go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. I I never paused in there. I was trying to finish my thought. How, when do we have to replace something on the vehicle? Like current trucks, our big replacement was an in-frame. Now we look at trucks with a one box that has a huge replacement cost. We're not addressing the replacement cost in these alternative fuel vehicles. Nobody's even mentioning them. I get what exactly what you're saying. That's one of my first thoughts. And they're saying the hours on this engine, on that Vulcrum engine, is 10,000 hours before an overhaul. I, and I'm like, okay, what's the cost of the Fulcrum engine? Do, you know, do I have to replace it? Can I rebuild this engine? Because 10,000 hours and 24 hours operation, that's going to give me about 412 days of operation. So what are the costs of the engines and stuff? The cost of the repower on the vehicle is, a, is slightly less than the cost of a new truck. Um, there are some numbers and some efficiency numbers. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. The articles that I, ho- I shared ho- with you. Hold on. I want to understand what you just said. I own a Class 8 truck currently, and I'm going to spend how much to retrofit it to this? Almost the same as the vehicle cost? Approximately. I, I'm 
I'm getting numbers on that now. Yeah. I'm trying to get in contact with them to find out the, the exact numbers of the cost for like my truck. I'm repowering my truck right now. Now I'm looking at, okay, $30,000 for the engine. If I put in new rears, I want to go back to 264 rears. I need to be rebuild the generator on my own generator. So I'm looking at a pretty significant cost. If I can do this for $70,000, then it might be op- it might be an option for me to do it. Uh, I, but where are all or these numbers that are going motor. to tell us whether it makes sense or not? I haven't got all the numbers. I've just started working on this last week. I found the article on the trucks and everything and started sharing them with you. But say on a motorhome. On a motorhome, how many miles do you put on a motorhome? Most people put a couple thousand not, a not year at many. best. The bigger the motorhome, the exactly. less miles they so put on. On a motorhome, this would, that would freaking last forever. <laughs> well, but well, Bob, so does the current engine that I put in a motorhome. Literally lasts forever oh, yeah. because I have 200,000 miles on my coach that's 16 years old, 17 years old. It's got 200,000 miles on it, and I am a very, very high mileage user. The average 15-year-old coach right now has probably 40,000 miles on it, which means the Class 8 engine that they currently put in there would last about 60 years. I had one for four years and never took it anywhere. Well, that's what I mean. So to, to say that the advantage in the motorhome is this engine lasts forever, it doesn't come close to lasting how long my current engine already lasts. So that's not an advantage. Well, the big, big advantage is your weight. Your, you know, a 12.7 Detroit engine weighs, what, 2,600 pounds? If I can get the same thing out of a 300-pound engine, then I'm saving well, wait a minute. But your your engine isn't the my front end. your engine isn't the only component needed. You need generators and batteries that I don't need on an IC engine. Uh, motors and your trans your uh, e axles are your motors and your generators. You're eliminating the transmission, the cooling system. You're eliminating the engine itself, the drive lines. It's a one-pedal operation. So that's a lot of weight difference. If I can get rid of all that weight on the front end of my truck, I can suck that trailer up and close that gap a lot more. Well, right hey, now, hey Joel, because of my big bunk, Joel, I have to run my ax- my trailer all the way back on my fifth wheel hey, to keep the weight off my front axle. Hey, Bob, the comparison you just made is yeah. a problem, though. You're saying that that one factor in this particular setup makes it better than your current setup. But Joel, is there any way you could tighten your gap anymore? At some point it becomes physically impossible to tighten it anymore. And we're, we can do yeah, that I, already. I, I couldn't turn, couldn't turn the truck. Right. Yeah. Right. We, yeah. That's just a, uh, that's just a case of putting the right front axle and the right tires on the that, truck to close exactly. the gap up. Right. So, so yeah, Bob, I got I'm a not 14, saying this. 14, six front axle on the bigger tires. Yeah. Earlier, you made a comment that I said something would never work. If I did that, I misspoke. I almost, I try very hard not to use the words never and always because they almost 
never work when you try to use them that way. But if I said it, I said it. If I said, I, I'm not saying this won't if work. If I said never, I probably misspoke. Yeah, I, I'm not saying it won't said work. said that the um, diesel electric, nobody was doing it, and you didn't think it would ever work. I, and I still don't think it will. I'm not saying it won't. So, I'm just saying my opinion is I, I don't see the advantages here. So the the right speed um, solution, and I'm just looking at some stuff here that I Googled through Fleet Owner. It's very similar to what Hylion's doing, and I have not seen any of the numbers on right speed. Hylion's using a compressed natural gas range extender rather than a, a turbine diesel, um, and they're saying that their cost is very similar to what Hylion is doing. It looks like performance is probably similar. The, the thing, I've seen highly on numbers, and from what I have seen on their fuel efficiency and over-the-road trucks, there is absolutely no justification for what they're doing. And there, is, there is no real improvement in fuel efficiency. Now, I'm not saying that's the case with the, with the right speed, um, but uh, there's some articles out there. I'm definitely going to look into it, and I'll, I'll, uh, awesome. I'll tear it apart. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll ask my guys at Volvo your- what they know. Yeah, you know, there's there you a the, the Mac guys. Yep. There's another factor here too. Right, when yep. when we look at some of the things we've done over the years for fuel economy, and we've actually proven that they work, and then you wonder why aren't we still doing them? We, you proved they work. They saved money. Well, well, no, they improved fuel economy. They didn't always save money, and some of them have so many downsides. That even though they did save money, in, you have to look at the whole picture. So many things that we've proven work, you're never going to see them in a production truck because when you put these things into fleets, you get all kinds of new issues. Help, you know, fleets aren't going to put a product like a fast fuel system on or an OPS, even though they absolutely work, just because... Now that's one more part you have to make sure is available to all your trucks running all over the country. So you start looking at some of these really wild, different technologies that use a new fuel and new. How do you integrate this into the current system? So that's another factor. There's so many factors in this. It can get really complicated. I, 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 you know, on a fleet scale. What's that? I don't think it would ever work. For me, I'm looking at it as an owner-operator, as a one-track guy, and I think as a as an owner-operator, you might be able to run this more efficiently so, than a hey, fleet could. Hey, Bob, let me tell you the and downside you have the to that. Too, so. let, let me tell you the downside to that. If it's not going to work at, in a, on a scale, the big scale, whether it's fleets or OEMs doing this, and it's just <laughs> owner-operators where do you get any of this stuff worked on when it breaks? Joel brought that up earlier. Nobody's well, going to go out and this, this is ex- exactly the problem. And, and, you know, I have a, a business called alpha drivers testing and consulting, and we're testing stuff. That's not near as technologically advanced as this. Um, unless somebody is helping you paying your bills to do this type of testing, you're not going to make any money hauling freight. I will tell you that right now. You know, just to do simple testing and to keep accurate numbers is extremely 
expensive. Yeah. And you're talking about a, a turbine that if you break down in the middle of Wyoming, you're just pretty much done. You're looking at a, a tow bill to California, probably to some place that can work on it. That's going to, you know, put you out of business unless you have a relationship with this company and they say, look, we're going to, we're going to back you. We're going to cover all the expenses. You know, they're going to say, Hey, I like the work that you're doing. You've got a nice history doing this stuff. Let's get together and, and, and do some things. Be very, very careful about swapping out a traditional powertrain. All this stuff looks wonderful, but I'm telling you right now, there are hidden pitfalls that none of us have even thought about, and you're going to get this out on the road and it's going to kick you in the teeth. So you got to be very, very careful with this stuff. And that was one of the thoughts I was saying as I was thinking about it. Joel actually is asking you. I know mm-hmm. you've got that type of relationship with Volvo. And mm-hmm. I, you know, how did you build that relationship with them? It because took I was, me I'm roughly generally 15 years. to build an inter- a relationship <laughs> like that with this company. So I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I, a lot of mine was just pure-ass luck. Um, I had some questions. They put me in contact with an engineer. We happened to hit it off. We got along very well. He kind of took me under his wing and it took about 15 years of interaction with this guy and, um, him kind of, you know, saying, Hey, look here, here is a resource for us out in the real world. Uh, at least 10 years before anybody else would even look at me. So this, this isn't something that happens overnight. It's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and a little bit of luck meeting the right people in order to make a relationship like that happen. Now that's the thing, and I'm, I've been in enough sales and stuff enough that I'm not afraid to go knock on doors. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I, I, do me a favor. Look the stuff over. It's a name I wanted to mm-hmm. throw it out there, what they're doing. I found it very interesting, but to me... With my background, it fits ready. And the reason I went to school for physics is because I was so interested in magnetics and wind turbines and stuff. So, I mean, it just falls right into the type of stuff that I'm interested in. Got it. Well, and keep us keep us updated on uh, on what you learn and what you decide. And if you try it, definitely let us know. I'd love to, to follow the results. You know, Joel, something else... This is going to come down to really nuanced stuff. You know, there isn't anything that's black and white and cut and dried. There's so many variables here on on whether this technology is going to make it to the mainstream, which is really what we're talking about. There's all kinds of, you know, fringe sure. stuff you can do. You and I have tested all kinds of crazy stuff. But mm-hmm. we've got to get down to numbers on this and all these little things are going to matter a lot. They're not going to be little things. They're going to be big things. One of them, um, we know that even with range extenders, you still need fuel of some sort. You've got to have a location to go to get whatever fuel it is we're talking about. And when we look at these conversions, a huge problem with these conversions is the aerodynamics are still awful, and that is going to kill your range. It, it does. There, there's, there is no doubt. Um, you know, just reading over some of the stuff that they've got going on now, the, the turbine part of this is something that's coming in the future, apparently. It's not 
it's not out right now. And they're currently using a diesel engine as the range extender, and it still has an emission system on it. So they, oh. they I, I don't see, yeah. Well, that, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> what you just described that they're doing, I, I, you know, spent several hours talking to people at the Louisville Truck Show about a decade ago because they had a truck just like that sitting there. And I went through all the issues with it. Right. And it's, hell, I, I, I begged them to let me lease the truck from them to test it. Oh, no, it's not quite ready yet. It, they didn't even drive the truck there. It got brought in on a low boy. I mean, that was a decade ago. Sure. And, and that's been tried several sure. times. There are way too many inefficiencies in that system. So if, if what we're saying is the turbine engine is going to make all the difference, well, they don't even have one yet. Yeah, it doesn't appear to be, at least at the time of this article was published, it doesn't appear to yeah. be out. So um, but, you I'll know, do a when, little more digging. It, it is interesting. This has all been tried before. It's basically what Hylian's doing. It's a, it's another version of that. Um, Hylian's been at it for quite a while, and how many major fleets are running Hylian trucks up and down the road? Uh, how often do, do you see them on the road? Right. Yeah, It. it I, I just... Um, <laughs> You know, when, when people look at the Tesla truck, they were always, oh, my God, why does it look like that? Why is it so ugly? Well, it's ugly because it can be. That's the whole point when you got rid of the engine and the radiator and the big cooling system that had to be out front. Now you could start creating really efficient aerodynamics, and, and that that's is really important because of range. Yeah, there's no doubt. So I, I don't think no that the, the the converting older trucks is, uh, that's got a whole bunch of its own issues. Um, so, well, we'll see. We'll, we'll... It, it, it does. Yep. Yep. And and this is more, more geared towards final mile stuff again. Um, you know, if it breaks down, you're not too far away from home base to tow it back without bankrupting you. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that type of stuff. This, this stuff just for an over-the-road guy, it's just not ready yet. I mean, you really got to think about what happens if something goes wrong. Yeah. Um, what are you going to do? Yeah. You better have a backup truck. So not, exactly. All right. The maintenance side of Definitely it not where it needs to be yet. Yeah. Another good point. Let's, uh, let's go to New Jersey. Yeah, Ken, welcome to the program. Yeah, hi. What's on your mind today? Oh, hi. Yeah, um, I have some keto questions. Maybe we should do a one-on-one. But anyways, I'm on keto. I'm in perfect health. I've been doing it for uh, many years. My wife uh, is thinking about it. So her conditions are uh, she has a thyroid problem, her gallbladder removed. She has fibromyalgia. She has fatty liver disease, high blood pressure. So we're wondering... Like what kind of diet, keto diet, she should get onto? Well, that's not really the important question here. I could say that with all those conditions, and I'm not surprised, that's what happens when you eat the standard American diet. Um, any paleo-based diet she moves to is going to be a huge improvement. If you want the quickest and best improvements, the closer you get to carnivore, the better off she's going to be. So I I don't know that I would get too deep into the weeds on what kind of keto diet. 
any diet that starts our body producing ketones is a ketogenic diet and it will work to start solving your problems. So I don't think I would get into the weeds on details here. If she's going to change her diet, then change it. And, and I wouldn't get too crazy about the details in the beginning. And here's another reason why. A lot of people will change the diet and they won't stick to it. So, so why do all this work and get all crazy about, you know, exactly how I should do this? It, just start eliminating the grains, the processed foods, the sugars. This is all about getting stuff out of your diet. Does that make sense? Right. Okay. Yeah, but just the basic meat and vegetables. Uh, and Absolutely. Nuts. That That's okay. an easy way to look at it. Eat meat and vegetables and you'll be in great shape. How many open days? Like she's saying, like, can I take a day off uh, during the week? Uh, well, ho- hold on. So one of the things we want to do is a, is a, is a mind reset here. Um, there are lots of diets that have always put in this cheat day. I think it's a horrible idea. That's like telling telling a heroin addict, it, look, every Sunday you can do heroin. It'll be just fine. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah, but it's like what you said, you know, if it's too hard to uh, start on uh, and get used to, because I went through that in the beginning, but now I love it. But anyways, if it's too hard to uh, start doing, you might not, uh, you know, continue, right? Hormonal changes as well, and sugar slaves, and yeah. So how to deal with that? So I, I, I'm not saying that anybody's perfect ever. It's certainly not in the beginning, but I wouldn't create a plan that says I'm going to take all of this stuff out of my diet because it's really bad for me, but I'm going to allow myself to eat it on Sundays. I, I, I just don't like that concept okay, so or that idea. Think, but yeah. here's the thing. All of us are going to cheat once in a while. We're going to eat something we know isn't optimal for our health. That's fine. Just don't do it all that often. So, so I know that might be just semantics or seem like a minor difference, but I, I just don't like this idea that we're going to plan on eating things that we know are bad for us. Okay, just yeah, take it as it goes. Yeah. Uh, what about fat digestion? Because she had her gallbladder removed, and she's yeah. having digestive problems. Like I said, maybe a one-on-one. We Absolutely. Need, but, uh, yeah. Like, what about yeah. the fat digestion? We can work with fat digestion, but again, I, I, I would rather see somebody instead of worrying about a bunch of supplements in the beginning or get into the weeds and the deep. Just start eating this way. Let's see what happens. Let's not put too much money and time and effort into trying to make this perfect. Let's just start making those changes to our diet, whether you do it all at once or whether you ease your way into it. But but I wouldn't get too deep into details and supplements and all that other stuff right now. And for the fatty liver disease, like, uh, is that it, more like an issue of uh, intermittent fasting to fix that or does the keto help? changing her diet will eliminate fatty liver disease. Will fasting help? Yeah, fasting is just one of those strategies we talk about that can make all of these things more powerful. Like eat lunch and uh, like a supper, basically, uh, every day? There's, again, I I don't want to make this so strict 
So one of the methods we talk about is, is abbreviated OMAD, O-M-A-D, one meal a day. That, that's a really good way of eating. Now, again, are you going to be perfect at it? No, because I also tell people if you're hungry, eat. You know, my one meal a day is usually around two or three o'clock in the afternoon, and it's usually the first thing I've eaten that day. That's pretty typical for me. But there are days where I'll get off the air at 10 o'clock in the morning and I'm starving. I'll go cook a big ribeye and eat it. So it's not going to be one meal a day today for me. It might be two meals. It might even be three some days. When I traveled, I was eating three meals every day. I, I don't like to get too crazy about rules. Start eating the right foods, eliminate all the wrong foods, and, and this thing will work itself out. Yeah, maybe skip breakfast. Like, that's the best rule, right? It, it's, I'm not going to say it's the best rule. It, it's a strategy. It's one of the things you can do to extend your fasting. Yes. Okay. And uh, what about uh, their thyroid not working? Like, uh, same, same, take a lot same, of medications. Same, can, same, we... can everything you mention, thyroid, fatty liver disease, digestion issues, they're all related to our diet. When we fix our diet, all of these things resolve. Uh, all she's of them. asking, how long will it take to see like some benefits from this? If she starts today, let's say. Uh, 24 hours. 24 hours. She's, uh, she's laughing. I don't know if that's because she's happy or she doesn't believe it. I, I'm sure she doesn't believe me, but it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but not completely. We have had people report results in 24 to 48 hours. Joint pain uh, goes away. Kevin, I mean, you know, I, certainly within you, a you week. Are, you're spot on with this. When I started the carnivore thing years ago, I mean, I was in pretty rough shape. And literally within 24 hours, you, could, you started feeling better. There is no doubt. Yeah. So can we do a one-on-one -on -one, like for more Absolutely. information or follow-up? Yeah, yeah. Do the discovery okay, call. Go, go fill out the NutriQ, do the discovery call. We don't even charge for that one. So we just go to your website? Go to letstruck.com, and up at the top, you'll see a menu okay. that says work with us. Just follow the instructions. Okay, NutriQ. Okay, do you have any other questions for her? Okay, I think she's going to do it. Okay, thanks. Perfect. All right, stay in touch. Let's go to... Texas, Mike, welcome to the program. Uh, yeah, hello. How are you doing today, gentlemen? Good. What's on your mind? Good. Hey, uh, I called you uh, many weeks back now um, asking advice, and you may remember me. I was like, I, I want to replace the tranny, and you said, don't replace the tranny, replace the rear end gears. And I did, and uh, just want to give you some feedback on that. And it's just absolutely been a smashing success. Excellent. And, uh, no, just what you guys told me. And, uh, you know, the truck, the engine, you know, I, I, I've got it running pretty well. I had it at that point, but it was still just a dog as far as, uh, being able to hold speed in challenging conditions, you know, down the highway. And, uh, you know, now that I'm running indirect and, and taking that, uh, mechanical disadvantage of the overdrive gear out of it. it it does so much better performs very well and uh it just a couple of 
things related to that I wanted to tell you I just think is interesting. Um, you know, and, and I, I'm sure that you guys can uh, label this and articulate it better than me, but uh, with the 336 gear, you know, and by the way, what I'm talking about is I went from 336 gears to 264 gears, and, uh, and now I'm driving indirect most of the time. And, uh, and so I, uh, or as my final drive gear. So with the 336 gears, it seemed like sometimes, you know, when you were winding up, you get to a certain point, and I don't know what that is, but it's, um, it's kind of being gear bound, but it's like you reach a terminal velocity and, um, you know, you're accelerating and if the RPM gets too much, it almost starts to feel like it stalls out a little bit. I shouldn't say stall. That's the wrong term, but you start reaching the point of diminishing returns rather abruptly. And it seems like with the 264 gears, I can, it's very productive. It's very efficient pushing the engine farther out. And, um, and I find myself, you know, and I don't race the engine, I don't stick my foot through the floor, but I find that, uh, I do better if I stay into it and run the RPMs up and, and it allows me to get all the way up to the peak horsepower and it feels right. And so I'll push it out, wind it out, and uh, you, you bring it up to speed faster once you get going. And uh, and then you make it shift, and you come out in a slightly higher RPM on the bottom end. And uh, I just that seems to me to work better than the way it was set up with the 336 gears and the overdrive. And I, I'll stop. It sounds like you're going to say something. Yeah, I was. And, and, Joel, you've explained what he was just talking about, how – when we change rear end ratio, we're also changing that step in the in the transmission. I think that's what he's trying to describe here. Sure. So he's obviously he's dividing torque when he's in overdrive. So if he has some heavier weight or he's climbing a hill and you're dividing torque, it feels a little funky. So when you are in direct drive, you're passing that torque straight through. So now you're putting full amount of torque, and torque is force applied it. So that's that force that's applied to the to the the powertrain and so it, it feels a little bit better to you and this is i took this one step further when i put a 205 in mind so i can actually use underdrive like you're using direct drive when i'm heavy and now i'm multiplying torque so it feels even better so yeah i get exactly what you're saying you were in overdrive before you were dividing torque it didn't feel quite right like it didn't have didn't have enough balls, so to speak. Um, now that you're yep. running indirect, you're, you're running slightly higher RPM, uh, which is probably a good thing if you're heavy and um, you are passing that torque straight through. So it's it's definitely going to feel, seat of the pants, it's going to feel better to you. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and just in simple terms, it's just a competent truck now. And in my opinion, it wasn't yeah. before. Yeah. And, I, you know, I couldn't. I didn't know. Am I doing something wrong? Is it not running well? But I, I just think it was spec poorly to begin with. So excellent. Hey, hey, Joel. Uh, and then hey, the, the, I don't know if you experienced this, but when somebody calls me and they say, you know, I called you and I was going to do this, and you talked me into doing that, I always start to cringe a little bit. Boy, I hope it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have started off with it. Sam, you told me to do this. And it didn't work. <laughs> 
well, you, you can have pretty high confidence that this works when we do tractive effort calculations. The numbers don't lie. Yeah. So yeah. exactly what he is trying to express is a tractive effort calculation. And when you do the numbers and you show him tractive effort in overdrive versus in direct, he'll know exactly you know, it's a, oh yeah, I can feel that. And and that's exactly, you know, what I went through when I was working with some engineers, they would do the tractive effort calculations. I'd take it out and drive it. I'd look at their chart and go, this is exactly right. I can feel this seat of the pants. So, um, yeah, I got a high, high degree of confidence that these re ratios work. Um, when you take a look at the power curve of the engine and your tractive effort kind of matches up and it sounds like that's exactly what happened here. His, tractive effort is matching the you know the power curve a little bit better than what it was in the past and it just feels better for him yeah and joe something you just said uh you know my next point it ties right in with it so again on the topic of rpm um and you know i was i've always been reluctant to cruise at too fast an rpm and the truth of the matter is i believe i've been trying to cruise at a slower rpm than I needed to, or that was, is really even optimal because, um, I was worried about losing speed, but the reality is, um, coming to realize the truck runs better. If I go ahead and push the, the RPMs, I mean, in a lot of so, situations, you know, you can always drive slower and pull the RPM down in certain situations, yes. but I'm cruising yes. in the mid thirteens to high thirteens a lot of times, and it absolutely thrives on that. And I think it's more efficient. Yeah, right. So what you're talking about here, when we say a downsped powertrain, typically when I'm talking about it, I'm talking about a rear axle ratio. I'm talking about an overdrive um, ratio in the transmission. The, the part that we've got to remember is that some engines are downsped engines. And what we right, mean when right. we talk about a downsped engine, so if, let's, let's just use Cummins for an example. So the, the X15 comes in, I think, what they call a performance series and an efficiency series. So that performance series, when we look at where peak torque and peak horsepower are made, it's made higher in the RPM range because that engine is more concerned with performance. And that's what you're feeling here. And you're running more in the range of where a performance engine runs. A downsped engine like I'm running, I'm making, I'm making 1,900 pound-feet of torque at 900 RPM. Um, uh, at 455 horsepower, uh, a 565 1850 Cummins under performance series is probably not making um, peak torque till about 1100 RPM. So exa you're exactly right on what you're saying is that some engines are going to actually run more efficient or or and, and feel better at higher RPM. Will they be the ultimate in fuel efficiency? No, but that will help you optimize what you have to understand, do you have a downsped power curve or do you have a traditional power curve? In my mind, it's always a mistake to put a downsped ratio in a, in an, with an engine that has a traditional power curve. What you have done from going from 336 to 264 is not really downspeeding. You are actually cruising right, right. at higher RPM. It's kind of the opposite. So exactly. you've optimized for your engine's power curve, and it's worked very well for you. And, right. uh, and I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that it did. Yeah, and just, uh, again, more context. My, my DD-15 was built in 2012. It's not a downsped engine, and I understood yep. that. 
I just I thought I should be running between twelve fifty and thirteen hundred. You know, go slower, uh, improve mm-hmm. fuel economy. But the reality is, the downside to that is, uh, like when you spin the engine up fast enough, I think that's the reason it gets to its most efficient point because it's it's already got that rotation going, and when it you know needs to add a little more power in. It's very easy for the engine to do that, but if your RPM's too low, then it's sort of really laboring to do that, is the way I say it, the way it seems to me. But So exactly, again, what you just said, I've just got the RPM up uh, 1,300 to 1,400, just depending, most of the time. And it still runs fine at 1,250. In some situations, that's great. Yes. But more often than not, I pull a flatbed, so more often than not, I'm being challenged either by the hills or the weight or the wind or something. Yes. And I think the truck yes. just does so much better at 13 uh, to 1400. I, 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 I'm go. pretty sure that your truck makes peak horsepower at 1500 RPM. That was pretty common for a DD 15 to be making peak horsepower. So you're running just under peak, which is what you should be doing. Um, you can get it up to peak horsepower when needed, but you shouldn't need to. So it, it just sounds like you're very optimized now. You've got yeah. the right ratio for the power curve of that engine. Yeah, and Joe, awesome. just, um, I happen to know those two numbers. I'll just tell you, I, my torque curve is like 975 to mm-hmm. 1550. The, DD, the original mm-hmm. DD15s had a very long, flat power curve. You know, Detroit was proud of that. And it, it is nice because mm-hmm. you've got good torque throughout but its peak horsepower is actually at 1625 and that's why i was saying earlier when i when i when i wrap it out up to that point um in a controlled way but you know you're trying to come up to speed at the highway right so it makes sense to go ahead and wrap it out get up into where it's given maximum output and not with your foot all the way on the floor right but help that engine run it out get it up to speed right. and then go into cruise mode so um and it does so much better now but there you uh, go he, he, hey. i think that that's different right because i'm not in i'm not in direct you know and i'm not uh i'm still i'm in underdrive gears just like i was with the 336 gears but it seems like mm-hmm. it's got a, a longer run in each of the gears it now does with yeah. the, a- a- the absolutely Right. Yes, yes, because it, they they are more efficient at highway speeds than what that 336 was in the underdrive gear. So you're exactly right. So everything yeah. that you're feeling can be absolutely explained mathematically. You're you're spot on. Yep. All right. I don't want to rush things, but I have to. I've got a conference call coming up in about seven minutes. We're going to try to grab one more call. <laughs> Tony, you get the final word. Kevin, hey, Tony from hrv 67 trucking uh just kidding but i yes i am making full use of my garmin diesel series so but i told her i would talk about uh this pack car i can get 8.0 out of it at 60 miles an hour i asked a really stupid question on joel's facebook and that is i didn't get an answer uh will i save any more by keeping the windows rolled up because I'm not running the AC. Hey, uh, will first of all, will running the AC hurt it? Hey, Tony, I can address this. I, I well, watched an episode of MythBusters about this once. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Um, actually, they didn't do it in heavy trucks. They did it in cars. We could probably extrapolate quite a bit of data. It turned out to be about dead even. That rolling the windows down yep. messed with the aerodynamics. Rolling them up, you had to turn the air conditioner on. 
Um, the, the, the differences were so minor, they couldn't work them out in the numbers at all. So I don't need to be sweating in my truck or no. freezing to death anymore. I can use AC no. what it's worth. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, use it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely use it. <laughs> You're working too hard. Use it. Yeah. You know, and the other thing we could take from that is think about it. The, the air conditioning pump on both vehicles is about the same size. But one of them's being run off of a tiny yeah. little engine in a car and one of them is being run off of a big diesel engine that almost doesn't notice that pump's running. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. You don't need to you don't need to work that hard at it. There's there's other ways to help improve your fuel efficiency rather than, you know, killing yourself trying to trying to drive with a way hey, to up the air conditioner off. It, am I losing gas mileage by going that slow? Because this truck has this light at right at 65 on the speedometer. I think that's just for company drivers. Like, like will I get better fuel economy? Because I'm below that green light. Yeah, that's like, it. I'm below. You will, you, will not, you will not increase your fuel efficiency by speeding up. It, it will not happen. Not long term. Now you may you yeah. may be coming off a mountain someplace and you're going, Oh my god, I'm going seventy and I'm getting fourteen. Yeah, okay, I get that. But <laughs> yeah. when you look yeah. at long term, the faster you go, the more fuel you're gonna burn. There's no way around that. Well, Joel, put me in line for one of your used trucks or I'll have to wait for Kate's call. It's been about a year for one of these down speed uh-huh. Volvos. Um, or if, if not, I'm gonna have to go to Tesla. There you go. All right. Hey, we, we do have to wrap this up. You're going to be my friend. Hey, Joel, the, uh, the conference mm-hmm. call I've got coming up in a couple minutes is about um, possibly uh, seminars at Matt's. I'm, I've got a call with Toby Young from Matt's. Um, so you're going to oh, be awesome. there this year, right? Yeah, I will be. Um, I, I'm actually going to have the truck in the show, I think, with Hotshot Secret. So. Got it. I, I Depending on what kind of a schedule we work out, I may uh, I may reach out to you and see if you want to do something with me. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Absolutely. Let me know. All right. David, awesome. thanks so much to, for joining us today. Great stuff. Absolutely. Had a great time. Fantastic. All right. We'll do it again soon. I am going to wrap this up. Um, Everybody have a great weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday. Normal schedule next week. I don't think we have anything weird going on. We'll see you then. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.